this evening, and uh, I, uh, you know, you, 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 when you, you go to a new place and you go to preach, you, you want to impress, so I've asked the Lord to take out the gumption to try to impress you or to try to make you look at me as if I'm some kind of good preacher. Uh, I just want to do the work of the Lord tonight. Uh, I'm a southern boy from, from the northern parts of Alabama, the lower parts of Tennessee, so my idioms may not be your idioms. I may something say something like the fine as a frog hair split three ways. You may not understand that, um, you know. But the, from the Boot Hill, Missouri, we would understand that. We get that. So, um, so. And that being said, if, if if I say something you don't get it, just write it down. Come ask me later. I'll explain it the best way I know how. All right. But if you'd stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 11. We're only going to start out with one verse, so you're not going to have to stand long. It's only 455 words long. I'm just kidding. Exodus chapter 3, verse number 11. The Bible says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? I'm going to preach to you a message today, that, tonight, that I feel very strongly about. It's titled, Who Am I? Who I Am? Can you lay your Bibles down? Lift up your hands, clap unto the Lord, and just thank Him for the word of the Lord today. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise He's worthy of. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. We thank you, God. We worship you. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. You can be seated. Moses, as we know, was brought out of the Nile River, and he was brought out by his Egyptian mother, future mother, and raised into the castle. And later on, we find that he was keeping some sheep on the backside of the desert and saw a burning bush which was not burning and and he he's caught by the attention of this and he he walks up to that particular bush to see what's going on and then the Lord begins to talk to him many times in our walk with life we come across people and we get the question who are you or what's your name? Or where do you belong? Or what do you do? Have you ever just got that question of who are you? you? You know, you get that sometimes. And most of the time when somebody says who are you, you, you give them your name. I am so and so. My name is such and such. But that really does not tell them who you are. Because names are deceiving. Names 
don't really give them your character. Names do not really give them your uh, your challenges in life or, or whether or not you're a thief or a robber or whether or not you're a millionaire. Names do not give those type of things, not in today's society at least. For example, if you walk up to me and say, who are you? I'm going to tell you my name is Ronnie. Now, most of you in this room would not know that the name Ronnie means a ruler with power. Yep. I was going to preach a message one time on the powerful name of Jesus. I was going to start off with my name, and I looked up the name Ronnie and found it meant ruler with power. I was like, man, I was excited, Brother Lee, about ruler with power. Until the Lord said, look up your middle name. Man, this is going to be good. I mean, if the Lord said, look up my middle name, I've got to be excited about this. My middle name is Joe. My mom didn't have, you know, some kind of imagination. She didn't come up with Ronnie as in Ronald. It was Ronnie. She did not come up with Joe as in Joseph. She came up with Joe. Ronnie Joe. So, you know, and, and how she came up with Ronnie was she was going to call me Donnie, but the other girl in the room named her son Donnie, and I was second in the room, so she changed the first letter and came up with Ronnie. Southern people. So I looked up Joe, and it says, get ready for this one. He that enlarges himself. And then, of course, my last name is Eves, which is the hangover of a house that you stand under to get out of the rain. So my name literally means the big fat ruler who stands out of the rain. Do you think I'm going to tell anybody that? No. I'm not going to walk up and tell you what my name means. I'm going to tell you that it's Ronnie. I'm never going to tell you it's Joe. I'm going to stick to the last name because you're probably not going to remember it anyways. And that's how we're going to stay. So my name is important to who I really am. Because the character is what you really want to know. You want to know what his character is. You want to know what it is. But there's a difference in the purpose of in Scripture. When they gave a name in Scripture, there was a purpose behind it. They wanted you to have a purpose in the future. Kids with a name and had a purpose with it. However... The, 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 the purpose behind the name didn't always match the character of the individual. For example, Abram met a mighty father. God changed it to a father of many nations. Or his name originally meant high father. I mean, who in the world names their kid high father? I mean, he hasn't even had any kids yet. He's going to be a high father. He didn't even have a child till he's 99 years old or 90 years old. 
you know, think about this, for, exa- for example. You know, we, we, you have that little newborn child in your hand, and you're like, oh, he's going to be a millionaire. And you've got two cents in your pocket. What do you do? You train him? I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. You let me know, and then I'll live off my kid's money. There's a purpose that we try to as parents to put in our kids' lives today, but it doesn't always fit their character. Like, I want my son to be this, and he looks at me and says, Dad, that's not who I am. That's not me. But that's what I want you to be. But that's not who I am. So sometimes you have to teach and train them in the direction that God wants them to be based on their character that God has placed inside of them. The word purpose means the reason that something was created or something exists. Why are you here? Why do you exist? You see, there's a difference between the reason why your parents give you purpose and the reason why God gives you purpose. The reason why God created you versus why the parents brought you into this world. The reason why God placed you here and the reason why the parents placed you here. The parents try their best to teach you, but when you get into the midst of the presence of an almighty God. I thought I was in an apostolic church tonight. Think about this for a second. Moses walks in amongst a bush that is burning, but yet is not burning. And the very first thing that the bush tells him is to take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. Now, I don't know when the last time you've had foot washing is. But if I announce foot washing at my church, we will have a 75% decrease in attendance. Ain't nobody going to touch my feet, let alone me touch somebody else's. I mean, it just ain't happening. No matter how much the Bible says you should wash the feet of your neighbor, it's not going to happen. You know why? Because you got them little woolly bugs from them socks or whatever nylons you got on or the stink bug, you know, kind of hits somebody in the nostrils in the wrong way or somebody got diabetes and they're going to bleed in the pan or something, you know, something like that's going to happen. No, I'm telling you the truth. That happens. I had to wash somebody's feet that had diabetes and they bled in the pan. I know y'all all all been, I see the the puke bags are coming out. Somebody, the plane's going to be all right. The turbulence is, it's it's all right. Just hang in there. We're going to preach in a minute. How many, give me five minutes. I blew that joke this morning. This audible voice calls out to him and says, take off your shoes. You think you stink. I mean, imagine walking around with lamb manure between your toes. And God's telling you to take your shoes off. And you're like, really? Why? I mean, we don't see where Moses questions this. We assume he just complies. But why would he ask him to do that except for the fact that everywhere his shoes had taken him is exactly what God wanted him to take off. 
places that you've been, things that you've done, things that you've existed in, purposes that you thought was a part of your life, things that you've been a part of, uh, things that you've seen, things you've let enter into your ear, things that you've put inside of your heart, that when you walk into a holy presence of an almighty God, you should check it at the back door and leave it at the check-in place. Uh, Because when I walk in there, it doesn't matter how smelly it once was. Uh, It doesn't matter what it once used to look like. Uh, It doesn't matter what it once used to be. All that matters is uh, that I need to walk in there with the pureness of heart uh, and let God know that I'm ready for whatever he desires. See, isn't it just simply somebody simply asking you to do something? Then you turn around and you the Lord says, I, I'm choosing I want you to go back into your sinful life. Understand something here. Moses was running from Pharaoh. Hmm. This wasn't a place that Moses wanted to go. I mean, there's a reason why he's on the backside of the desert keeping sheep. He was running away. Now, God's saying, go back. Well, if I go back, I'm going to die. I mean, this is going through his brain. And Moses sitting there saying, wait a minute, God, who am I that I should go? I'm a nobody. I've got sheep poop on the bottom of the soles of my feet. I'm sorry. I I shouldn't say that word. Feces. Fecal matter. I I remember I got to be in the sophisticated area of the big city. Who am I? that God should trust me. I'm a murderer on the run. I'm on the backside of the desert. I'm a man that is among sheep all day long. I don't even talk to people. All I know is, The first few words I say to my wife when I get home, when she asks me how my day was, is bad. I mean, there's nothing else to tell her until finally I remember that I actually can enunciate a word. Good. Today's vernacular, it might be I'm a woman in a man's world. I'm a black man in a predominantly white neighborhood. I'm a white man in a predominantly black neighborhood. I'm a sinner. I'm 12. I'm 80. I'm single. I'm married. I've been married 12 times. I'm sick. I'm not smart. I'm not able to go. I'm too young. I'm too old. 
I'm in a mixed relationship. I, I'm not in a mixed relationship. Whatever the case may be. There's always an excuse for us not to do what God has asked us to do. Somebody needs to get with me tonight. When God asks you to do something, there's always an excuse. It's generally the first thing that comes to your mind as to why you can't do it. My grandmother, when I grew up, after I got in church when I was about 13, 14 years old, I didn't grow up in this. I was molested heavily as a child. I prayed at six years old for God to help me, deliver me from that. I told you a little bit about it this morning and how that God took me through different trials and different places in life and finally landed me in a place that, that I got to know him on a personal level. And, and, and when I finally got into a place where I could get to know God and started feeling his presence and doing these things and got the Holy Ghost and was baptized in Jesus' name and, and all this, I, I went to sleep every night to Southern Gospel. I hate it with a passion. Especially this one radio station because every night they played the same song at the same time every night. And it was always this song that came on, excuses, excuses, you hear them every day. Well, the devil, he's a liar. And I don't know the rest of it because I'd plug my ears. But it said something to me that if you want an excuse, you can find an excuse. Oh, my clothes aren't right. I can't go to church tonight. Oh, I, I you know, I, I got a toothache. I got a headache. I've got a toeache. I got an ingrown toenail. I've got an ingrown tooth. Most of us from Tennessee do. Do you know if the toothbrush was invented in any other state, it would be the teeth brush. But since it was invented in Tennessee, it's called the toothbrush. You know what has a thousand eyes, a thousand legs, a thousand arms, and three teeth? The front row at Neyland Stadium. Who am I that I should go? I, I, I'm here tonight to remind somebody in this church in O'Fallon that God didn't bring you out to leave you on a church chair. God didn't bring you out to leave you here for you to come on a Sunday night just to lift up a few hands, uh, do a few high fives, uh, go home, turn on ESPN or whatever, the Hallmark Channel, and go to sleep, get up and go to work the next morning or, or go to school and not tell somebody about the good news uh, that is to come, uh, that there is a God that loves you. Why in the world would we only sing about him uh, in these four walls uh, and not tell somebody about the goodness uh, of God and what he can do for your life? I came to remind you is it really doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if 
you have a million dollars in your trust fund. It doesn't matter if you have cancer tonight. It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old. It doesn't matter if you've had five husbands. It doesn't matter if you've had a teenage pregnancy. It doesn't matter if you've committed an abortion. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've been in the midst of a homosexual relationship. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Uh, all that really matters. Uh, it doesn't matter if you've been a murderer, a thief, a liar, a fruit eater, adulterer, a drug addict, or an alcoholic. Uh, all that really matters. Oh, come on, somebody in this house. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, if you have to crawl to an altar every single Sunday and get down on your knees and beg God to wash away the sins one more time. It doesn't matter who you are. All that matters is who he is and what he does and how he does it and what he can do for me. It doesn't matter. You see, Moses asked him, God began to tell him in not so many nice words, it really doesn't matter who you are. I'm the one that's going to do the work. You need to allow me to do the work and just go. But Moses then turns around and says, well, who shall I say sent me? And we find in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 14, the answer that God gives him. The Bible says in Exodus 3 and 14, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Why ask who am I when we ask the question, who am I? God's response is, I am. Now, an interesting concept within this for some of our Bible college students and who's been taught to exegete, maybe look at a little bit of the Hebrew and try to dig it out a little bit. You know, maybe you do this, maybe you don't, maybe I am is just good enough for you, but I like to look at a little bit of the original language to come to a little bit of an understanding of what God's trying to say at that point, because I mean, you know, who should God say his name is and the first thing is, is I am? Yeah, that's not going to work, God. I am what? see, in English, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Because, I mean, you know, Brother Lee, I am. I mean, that's kind of cocky and arrogant. And, you know, God doesn't have to be cocky and arrogant. And I don't think that's the message he was trying to send. 
doesn't matter that the Bible shows it in big, bold letters, capitalized, either. So when you're reading this and you see that, it's, it, there's something deeper that, that the Word of God is trying to tell us. So, so when you read it in the Hebrew, it's E-A, Asher E-A, or A-A-A-A, which when you understand what E-A is, that's, that's, the, that's, that's or Yahweh, which is, which is the first couple of letters of God's name in the Old Hebrew. Yahweh, Vave. I mean, Yahweh, that's, that's the first couple of letters. So what he was saying is, Yahweh, but, but, but Asher, Yahweh, he was saying, I am that I am. But that's not all that that means. It also means I become that I become. But it also means I come to pass that I come to pass. But it also means I will be that I will be. So when we read it in the English, it only comes out as I am. But imagine listening to it in Moses' ear. In the in, in, in listen, I don't speak Hebrew, so I can't get the, you know, the phlegm type sounds. make it sound right. Somebody be running for the bathroom in a minute. Sorry, is Brother Buford, you might want to get this sanitized. Imagine listening to it, you know, in, in Moses' ear when he says, I am. Yahweh. I am. But Moses hears all of it in an understanding. I am, I become, I come to pass, I will be. That's okay. I I figure, you know, we got a couple of people that's catching it in here. God's telling you, the one that's called you to do something, the one that's asked you to go back to where you come from, the one that's telling you to reach somebody, that I'm not just I am, but that I've become, I come to pass, I will be. But oh, wait just a second here. Brother Eves is going to let you know one last little translation. I will be there when you get there. Oh, somebody understand something. You're not going by yourself, but God's already going to be there when you get there. He's already said it. It's set down in his word. It's already been established. You're not going back to Egypt all by yourself. I'm going to be there when you get there. Job got into questioning God. We call him a man that, that, you know, never sinned, but he questioned God. We see in Job 38, 4, God got tired of his questions and said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Imagine getting that question from God. You know, I remember talking to my mom one time. 
when she when I said something about who do you think you are? And she looked at me and said, well, where were you when I carried you for nine months? You know what that means? That means you better shut your mouth, get over and sit down, boy, because I brought you in this world. I will take you out. Job's sitting over there in a pile of ashes. His friends are all around him complaining. He's got a young preacher there sitting there listening to the complaints between the two of them. And, and he's trying to put his two cents in and trying to say, hey, you older guys, y'all all doing all this complaining back and forth. And, and I, I just didn't think that was anything that, you know, you should be doing with this young guy sitting here. His wife walks in and says, you must be a foolish guy. You, you, you've done curse. You might as well curse God and die. And then, Mo, you know, Job goes back and he just starts wallowing. the. You know, oh, God, I'm going through so much pain. I'm in this ash. Why are you doing this to me? And God says, shut up. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Sometimes we get into a little bellyache and think we have a right to question God. You know, it rains on the just and the unjust, right? You may consider yourself just and think that you can just walk around and never have to worry about another problem, trial, tribulation. Well, where's your God? I'm sorry. But the just and the unjust means that both of us, whether you're just or unjust, are going to have good days and bad days. You're going to wake up and bump your head. And say, oh, Lord, why didn't you remind me? And then you find out later that you missed a car accident on I-40 or whatever interstate's out. And then you're like, why did I question God? He kept me out of an accident. You don't know how many times I've done something. I could, the car wouldn't start, had to jump it off. I was running late. Come to find out I missed a car accident or something happened that, that caused me not to be in trouble or something like this took place all because something that was a little small and minute took it, it was there. And, and you're like, why did this take place? But, but God reminds you later that he's God. He sees the big picture. I don't always see the big picture. There's not always a situation that comes about that lets me know everything that God knows. He's always on the watch. there when you get there all of these things transpire to understanding that God is Isaiah 43 and 11 tells us I even I am the Lord and beside me there's no savior beside me there's no savior Isaiah 44 6 through 8 or 6 and 8 I should say Verse 6 tells us that the Lord is the King of Israel. And the Redeemer is the first and the last. Verse 8 says, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you? Have I not declared it? That beside me there is no God? That word rock there is an interesting concept. I want you to grab that. Some of you young ministers write this down. Exodus chapter 33, when Moses gets a true revelation of who God is, in Exodus 33, the Bible says that, that God tells Moses, if you really want to know who I am, there's a place beside me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. 
That word rock is tesur. It means mighty one God. He goes and stands upon the rock. Then in Isaiah, Isaiah uses the exact same word to say there is no rock beside me. There is no other one God beside me. I am the only one. We find out later that Moses is not allowed to enter into the promised land. We find out later that Moses stood on a mountain and sees the hinder parts of God while he's standing upon a rock that is called the mighty one God and God covers him with his hand. What happens in the New Testament? Jesus says unto his disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. But who do you say that I am? Peter stood up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Right? And upon... I'm going to ask this one more time because that was kind of a weak response. And upon this rock I will build... My church, upon what rock? A revelatory rock. You can't come into this unless you have a revelation of who God is. Moses was not allowed to see him until he had a revelation of who he was. The very next chapter, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the side of a mountain. In the Old Testament, God covers Moses with his hand. In the New Testament, Jesus is transfigured right before them. And who steps through the portal? Come here, Moses. Oh, by the way, my name's Jesus Christ. Nice to meet you. Now, how do I know that that's what happened? Well, let me tell you what happened in Exodus 33. He said, I'm going to proclaim my name unto you, and I will show you mercy, and I will show you grace. But there's a place beside me that's upon a rock. Before you can go see all that stuff, you got to stand upon the rock. Then when he meets Jesus, he says, who else is with him? Peter, James, and John. He says, listen, right back there is mercy and grace. If you don't finish doing what you're supposed to be doing, I can't be here to do that. It's never going to take place. I need you to finish your job. footstool Isaiah 40 and 22 
He who sets above the circle of the earth. So we can see that God is not just a small G God, but he is a great big God. The earth is his footstool. He sets above the circle of the earth. So those of you that are flat earthers in the room, the Bible said some 6,000 years before Columbus ever sailed the ocean blue that the earth was round. So who is this great I am that will be there when we get there? Well, in Luke chapter 10, verse number 18, the Bible says, And he said unto them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Who has their Bible with them? What color are those letters? Luke 10 and 18. A red. Who speaks in a red letter? Jesus. How can a man only 30-something years old, see Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Better yet, let's look at John chapter 8, verses 57 through 59. Throw it up there, bro. I have the new King James. I don't want to read it too far off from what you got. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old. And how hast thou seen Abraham? Because Jesus claimed to have seen Abraham. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was. Now there's seven places where Jesus said, I am. But this is the one place where he, go back, I'm not through with that verse yet. He said it specifically, I am. Now, this is in Greek, but it translates identically to the same Greek transliteration to the Hebrew if you were to take it back to Yah-eh as the same as it was with the same I am that God used with Moses. And then we see in verse 59 that the Jews did something very specific here. Then they took up stones to cast it. Why did they do that? Because they knew that he was claiming to be the one God of Abraham. Not being a second person. Not being a subordinate. Not being the son of God who is just somebody's, you know, like we're the sons of God, you know, just being a creative of the God. He was claiming to be God. That's different. We don't believe in subordination. We don't believe in the subordinate of God. We don't believe in a, in, in a, in a, a subordinate of the one true God who is, is a man that walked around and did some mighty wonderful things. And, and then lifted, you know, died and God raised him from the dead to wash your sins away. We don't believe in that. What do you believe in? i tell you what we believe in. We believe in what he just said. Go back to verse 58. 
when Jesus said, I am, who is the great I am? I am. Remember I told you what that means? I, I, I am that I am. I will be that I will be. I have become. I've come to pass. And I will be there when you get there. What was the whole purpose behind Moses was to get the children of Israel into the promised land so that the Messiah would come. Oh, come on, somebody. If you want your sins washed away, there's only one way to get to that place, and that's through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the great I am. God's already said there's no Savior beside me. No, not one. There is no God beside me. No, not one. There is no rock beside me. No, not one. Why? Because we've got a God in Jesus Christ uh, who is the great I am, uh, who took it to the enemy and said, uh, you may have made man fall. You may have made man fall, but I'm going to tell you what. Uh, I'm going to become a man uh, and make man alive again. Again, where you thought they were dead through my death they shall live now I've got where I'm fixing to conclude whoever's over the music so Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven before Abraham was yet he is. Then we see that Isaiah 43 and 44 says there's no Savior and the Lord King and Redeemer will claim to be the first and the last. Well, where does that happen? Well, let's look at Revelation 1 and 11. It says, again, who, who's got a Bible? I have mine, but look at Revelation 1 and 11. Tell me what color these letters are in. Red. Who speaks in red? Jesus. Revelation 1.11. Say this with me. Saying, I am. There it is again. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in the book. But let's, let's focus on this first part. Isaiah 43 and 44 said that the Redeemer would say this, that your king would say this, that your God would say this. And we see it right here in Revelation. He is the Alpha and the Omega. If he was the subordinate, he can't be the Alpha. If he was the one that was in the last, he can't be the first. But he is both the first and the last. I'm going to tell you something else. Uh, the Alpha and the Omega, that's the Greek lettering uh, for the A and the B. I mean, the A and the Z. But what Jesus was actually saying is, I am the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, Y. Y'all come on, somebody. Get with me. H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. In other words, whatever you need, I will be but I'm already there. I've already made it happen. I've already took care of it. I've already made it come to pass. And finally, the devils know who he is. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, they came to the other side of the sea, into the country, of the Gadarians. 
Verse number 2. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment find out later that his name was Legion because he had many devils. Many devils. I'm here to present to you tonight that if the devils would run a distance and crawl on their face to fall at the feet of Jesus Christ and worship him. How can we sit in a church chair in a service where he is lifted up and not do the same? Peter said, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. What does that mean? It means you've got to have the name of Jesus applied. It's not even an option. You can't be saved without it. And if the devils know him and can run and fall to his feet and worship him, there shouldn't be an apostolic in this church or a non-apostolic in this church that can walk into the presence of an almighty God and leave here and not worship him. You say, well, his feet's not here. I've already told you the earth is his footstool, so everywhere in the earth his feet are, but more so where his praises are. For where the praises of his people are will inhabit his presence. stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. The I am of I ams, the great king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the messenger of all messengers, the one who bled and died and rose again on the third day, the one who who preached the greatest message of being born of water and of spirit and commissioned the man to preach, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins uh, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost uh, for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. He is here this evening.